Hey, have you guys... Uh... <laughs> I like the intro, Caleb. <laughs> Sorry. Nate started something. Uh, no. oh, and then I, I stopped too long, and then you guys interject. But, uh, the informal but... intro. <laughs> Do you guys know who the 2016 Power Pastor uh, was for the according to the New York Times the Power Pastor 2016. Wait, is this a thing? Is this like yeah. every year they? Am, I, I, know, I guess so. I didn't. Was know there that. a two seven? Th- was there a 2017 I, I, Power Pastor? I don't know. We'd have to look that up. Power I, I could do some googling while I didn't we're. Know uh, the New York Times bestowed honors on pastors. Power pastors. A power, power pastor too. title. I'm wow. Have, let me ask Siri. What is I a power don't. pastor? What is a power pastor? We'll see what Siri has to say. She's thinking. All right. Well, let's not wait too she's long. Still she's still thinking. Still thinking. <laughs> we tripped her up. Oh no. Oh man. Well, uh, okay. Does it say what a power pastor is? It doesn't say. It's just the power Verizon? pastor for 2016 was then. Uh, yeah, was this guy? I was asking who you, if you knew who he was. I don't. Well, <laughs> I have a suspicion, but I don't. That's because we were talking about it earlier. <laughs> Somebody that, that you guy. said wears a British British collar, did you say it was? Or an English collar? That or wide collar that really exposes the knot of the tie. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it's kind of a Savile Row. Definitely a British. Maybe the French started. They often do start oh, these things. Not but Italians? The, but the Brits the, have you know, exported uh, it worldwide. A lot of sports players will do that. And then they wear, they tie that giant. If you notice this, the giant knot with a wide tie. That's the thing. Oh, okay. They wear ties in this part of the country. So no, yeah, not really. Much. All right, Power Pastor, who, oh, by the way, Siri just came back with, I didn't quite get that. I'm sorry. (laughs) Thanks a lot. Um, 2016 New York Times Mm -hmm. Power Pastor of the Year. Tell tell us more. Reverend Bernard of the Christian Cultural Center, which is quite the name for a church, too. We don't want to be a church. We'll be a center for Christian Mm. culture. Hmm. Now I don't like to that be sounds divisive. very gospel centered, doesn't I, it? Well, I don't like to be divisive, but <laughs> there are in every town you do find churches that are called like a center of some kind. Do you guys know why, why that is? Any like why it's called center as opposed to like edge? Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps <laughs> uh, like a life center or or the victory mm. center. Just every city I've lived in, and we've lived in a lot of places. You'll see, like some churches mm-hmm. will go by. Is that that's not a denomination, right? Is that just a, a choice that that church made? There's probably some denomination out there that has center in it, but I'm not aware. Okay, yeah. Um, but I think in the most in most cases, it's just you know, church should be in the center. In the center, or or we're just channeling our we're a community charity vibe. Okay. Oh, charity's good. Uh, what? Tell us more about Doctor Bernard. Was it Bernard? No, don't, yeah, don't don't know a lot about him. Bernard. Reverend, He's Reverend a power Bernard. pastor, though. He is yes. a power pastor. Yeah. He has lots of accolades on their website. Accolades. Yeah. A R Bernard. A R. Yep. Okay. Yep. Anyway, uh, apparently we were going to talk about somebody who was recently. In the pulpit at his church. Oh, that's right. That's where we were going okay. with that. I was trying Sorry, to Sorry, it was, it was we meant going. to be a lead-in. By the way, this is uh, uh, Chris Martin. I don't know. This is Caleb, Caleb Watts. <laughs> but together with Chris Martin uh, and, yes. uh, and Nate Barmore, three Christian dads, as it were, talking about stuff. <laughs> Welcome <laughs> as to Father's Porch. <laughs> <laughs> three guys. Pretending to be fathers, we've got we've got we've got people around the valley here listening to our show, checking their podcast software of choice. It's like, is this the right yeah, show? Yeah, delete this one. I thought this I hope, was the Bombadil's Porch Show. What's yeah, this? I hope they don't come in on this episode and go. Yeah. Oh dear. 
Don't don't rate this one. Listen to another one and rate it. <laughs> or give us a few minutes. Oh, so yeah. so we've got Doctor Bernard, and what was the name of the church? Something Center. Oh yeah, but yes. we, are we going to go here for? Oh wait, no. Nope, no, no let's, let's stay. Let's stay right here. Okay, yeah, the okay. Christian Cultural Center. Yeah, in New York. New York City. Yeah. New York City now, Christian Cultural Center. 50 some thousand active members. Is that right? Uh 45,000. Oh, sorry. Yeah, okay. come on now. Yeah, what am I doing? Gross exaggeration. Yes. <laughs> it is New York City's mega church, apparently. I'd say so with that that number. Which also tells you something. <laughs> so, uh we've just come off Holy Week. The mm-hmm. high point of the Christian calendar, mm-hmm. pastors and um, pastoral staffs around the world celebrated with uh, great messages about the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord. Because without that, there is no Christianity. How did the uh, how did Doctor Bernard uh, celebrate the high point of the Christian calendar? Special guest, special guest. Who was that, Chris? Mr. Chuck, Mr. Chuck Schumer. Ah, uh, so I was thinking you might see Chuck E, like Chuck E. Cheese or something. I was yes. thinking it might have an there Easter theme, kind of like the Easter Bunny, <laughs> who so, maybe would have directed him off where he was supposed to go on the stage. Senator well, he Chuck did, Schumer. He did lay an egg in the pulpit. <laughs> he did lay an egg. Uh, Senator Chuck Schumer offered yes. the the Resurrection Day or, or the Easter message. At this big church. Some sort of address. Uh, We don't know if it was the message, but yeah. Uh, And a little bit of it has captured uh, some attention. Uh, It's been interesting to see lately the different metaphoric language uh, or symbolic language that has been been co-opted for different purposes politically. And that's nothing particularly new. This just came across as somewhat uniquely egregious. Uh, Mr. Schumer, or Senator Schumer... uh, is a person is a person who's a senator like senator for life? Is that like is I think that they might is be. that the correct honorific after that? I don't know what the protocol is. Every TV show I see where there's an ex president, they're still calling him Mister President. So, so I wonder maybe if that's president okay. does. I don't know about senators. Yeah. So well, he is. I think still an active senator. He is. So yeah, senator, he is. oh yeah, he is. Yeah. Senator Chuck Schumer from the pulpit of this church on Easter, right? So this is this is intentional. Is speaking of. Things coming to pass of glorious import, uh, in particular, speaking of a historical event after which there's no going back. The stone has been rolled away from the tomb. All those good things we hoped and prayed for will come to pass. So happy Easter. With a with a wind up like that. Uh, actually, that was the follow through. He he had uh, <laughs> he had already mm-hmm. thrown the pitch. This was the follow through. Uh, with that as the follow through on Easter, what might you think he was referring to? Yeah. Well, he, he's referring to the stone rolled away from. I'm, yeah. I didn't know he was religious. And, and a historical event. Yeah. Yes. That, that means there's now no going back and yeah. all the good things we'd hoped for will come to pass. Therefore, happy Easter. Yeah. It must be it the must. Civil Rights Act. Um, knowing Schumer, though, was this, was he reflecting on the election of Barack Obama to the president. I'm just trying to think mm. of big things to have this guy. Right. And things that are a big deal, like <laughs> never happened yeah. before. The world will never be the same. Yeah. Should have been the resurrection. It should have been the resurrection. <laughs> exactly. It's like, <laughs> yes, uh, not the appointment of uh, Justice Kentonji Brown Jackson 
as the first black woman to ever hold the title justice, which is, wait, on the Supreme Court should have been the clarification. Uh, Mm -hmm. And he says, and if I have anything to do with it, the first of more to come. So Mm. what that means, I think, I think the correct way to interpret that last little bit is that Schumer um, is biased. I think all those other oppressed intersectional groups that he just excluded. um, Yeah. I think they really, that's pretty offensive. Hmm. I, I wonder, did he have similar remarks when Clarence Thomas became the first African-American justice? Checks notes. No. No? No, no he did not. Okay. <laughs> Surprise. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this, uh, okay, initially when we looked at this, it was, um, it was irritating. Now it's, it's, it's not as, ir- it's wearing, uh, it's wearing down a little bit, the irritation. <laughs> the humor is starting to come I through. Just, I, I think the, uh, I can't stand how the world that mocks the uh it mocks biblical christianity mocks the idea of a risen lord um clearly mocks the idea of biblical morality it drives me nuts how when they when convenient they decide okay i'm going to grab the most powerful um, the most powerful example of divine power which is the risen lord and i'm going to use it because i'm going to use it in some way because there's a cause i care about i just I, it, first of all it's hypocritical it's insulting they don't care about offending Nate Larmore for sure. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's fascinating that people that mock the whole entire idea of a life mm-hmm. of faith, uh, they can't escape it themselves. The, re- the religious metaphors pour out of these people. The religious behavior pours out of these people. Um, they scream, there is no right or wrong. And yet then they vilify their enemies as being evil. It's just, it's fascinating. Like they can't, they're trying to, they are rebelling against the living God while trying to say they don't admit, they won't admit that he even exists, but they can't get away from the fact that they are created a certain way. So I, I think with uh, with Senator Schumer, I want to pay him respect because God allowed him to be in this position. Uh, but what does mean we have to pretend that the game he's playing has any merit <laughs> Mm-hmm. Can we just go so far as to say that was just a blasphemous thing oh, to say from absolutely. a pulpit on an Easter? Mm-hmm. Like that's, that is not okay. Not okay. What kind of, re- I wish we had a recording of the Met. I'd love to hear what kind of response he got. Oh, there, yeah. Uh, on the original article, there is a recording. So oh, I have listened to it and, and it's what you would expect. Polite clapping, golf claps. Um, you know, no, there was real clapping. I think it resonated well with the audience. I don't know this uh, individual and his ministry and his church very much, um, other than he's a power preacher, and I know that now. Mm-hmm. What I suspect is his church is probably a fruit of a number of movements in liberal Christianity uh, over the last century. In particular, it's been fascinating. We've been going through with a, a group of um, of homeschool students uh, that are part of a, a homeschool network that meets at our church. We've been going through a class on worldview and philosophy. And um, and it was interesting when we got to the point where liberalism hits the church, right? There had been all of these assaults on language, assaults on truth in secular philosophy, but through people like Karl Barth and others, um, all of a sudden those ideas are pulled into the church and the uh, the believability of divine miracles is questioned. Then the believability of of the incarnation and the, the miracles of Jesus's life, the divinity of Jesus is questioned. 
the you know the the, the big question of the what's the historical Jesus. Uh, and eventually all of this gets undermined to the point where any objective confidence in the revelation of God is out the window. And so what is left? It's some kind of an experience of the divine uh, that's personal, that's subjective. And what is that for? What is Christianity for? And you saw that give rise in modern history to particularly as I, is it, um, uh, as it affected some of the, the smaller demographics in America, it gave rise to liberation theology, mm-hmm. which is that the message of the gospel is not a message about primarily us being made righteous before a holy God so that we can have an eternity with him someday, but that the message of the gospel is the opportunity for the oppressed to be liberated from their oppressors. Mm-hmm. That that's what the message of the gospel is. And, uh, and Christianity then gets reduced sometimes explicitly to Marxist terms that the problem with the world is not sin. The problem with the world is structures of oppression or people who are oppressors and salvation is those who are able to throw off that oppression uh, by fixing the structures or by bringing down the oppressors uh, and, and by putting people change, change agents in place that can, that can free those who need freeing. And so in, in Chuck Schumer's discussion there, there is a gospel being presented, but it's a, it's a Marxist gospel of liberation theology that does not save. You know what this reminds me of? Did you guys see this other article that came out? There was a, an advisor to Bush Cheney, actually. He was a senior mm. advisor, a guy named Dowd. And um, oh, mm-hmm. he was being interviewed on MSNBC. That's your first indication of, of where this guy's headed. Um, but this is what he what he had to say. It's so similar. It, it just in in it shows how people have taken the the gospel and the glorious message of the gospel and reduced it down to political terms, which is why it seems so hollow and it's so frustrating, right? You've taken something beautiful and you've hollowed it out into something that's... Something of cosmic proportions and you've brought it down to the level of a political appointee. Exactly. (laughs) It's just, it's even hollow to, I think, people that aren't aren't Christians. Mm -hmm. Mm Non-Christians are probably like, well, that's kind of lame. So this is what Dowd said uh, over the weekend. He said, uh, you're coughing because you're, you're, you have anticipation about what I'm about to say. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he says this. He's allergic to blasphemy. Dowd, <laughs> Dowd begins with saying the Easter holidays, the entire mess- holidays, holidays, okay. yes, plural, the entire message of the gospels of the Easter holidays, interesting, was love one another. And I have said this before, and I'll say it again. If Jesus Christ was alive today, he would be called a groomer. He would be called woke and he would be called a socialist if he was alive today. If he was speaking the message he spoke in the Gospels today about treating everybody with dignity, Jesus Christ hung around with prostitutes and tax collectors. Dowd continued, he was nailed to a cross because he spoke on behalf of the most marginalized people in the Middle East. Uh, oh, those I are officially <laughs> ran out of fingers trying to count how many blasphemous errors occurred in that statement. It struck me as what an abomination of what the Bible actually says. And not only you you have taken 
this glorious message of redemption and salvation of all mankind, mm-hmm. and you've reduced it down to your political talking points. What an offense. Um, not only a, certainly a blasphemy against the Lord, but what an offense to people listening to that, that yeah. you've, you've, inser- you've taken out the divine savior and you've inserted in a bunch of incompetent political types because all of politics is generally incompetent. Right. Uh, and you've inserted them as the savior or you've inserted an ideology as the savior. Uh, I don't know. It, it irritates the, the snot out of me. <laughs> Probably you guys as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is kind of, it, it goes back to, uh, early COVID. We talked about it. There was the word woke was not nearly as well. It was kind of a, a, a very niche word you, mm. and you weren't hearing it much and we hear it everywhere now. Uh, but it was being described as this great activist cause that was going to right the wrongs of the past. But it, it was already at that point painfully clear that it was, it was a pseudo religion. Right. And it had, and even though they, these were, these were generally people that claim there is no God or we can't know God, it had sin. It had original sin. It had, it had penance. It had all these trappings of what I would call hollow religion. But the one thing it did not have and still does not have is redemption and salvation. And it amazes me that the same people that rail against the God who sacrificed himself in order to forgive them of their sins, they rail at it and mock it. Their substitute is a religious system that has no redemption and no salvation. All it Mm. ever has is just a lifetime of beatings and subjugation. (laughs) Right. And, and that's part of what makes it so cruel is it doesn't even execute, (laughs) you know, the ungodly, right? It's, you must simply acknowledge your privilege. You must acknowledge that you're an oppressor, et cetera. And, and spend the rest of your life kind of having like this autoimmune disorder. You need to attack yourself. You need to be, be attack the racism that will always be in you. You must be an anti, not simply a, right. Not a just non, a, non. a non. You can't be a non-racist. <laughs> you must be anti-racist, acknowledging that you are inherently and irredeemably racist. Mm-hmm. And so never stop attacking yourself and your privilege. And that's, that's a burden Talk about flag, self-flagia, not flag yeah. you, although that might apply to some of these guys full of wind, but uh, we've got self-flagellation. Uh, mi- you can always find the middle school staff. <laughs> <laughs> Loud and proud. There we go. Uh, <laughs> there you when, go. When you're Wait. teaching on a Wednesday night and it's getting a little quiet in the room, you can always find some level of humor that'll bring it back. You're just not yes. sure if you've lost control for the rest of the night. <laughs> yep. But it's true. Yeah, that, that self-flagellating nature of 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 this religion and it's it's a requirement if you want to continue to live in society you will you will do this um and and it's it's tragic because where you know where does it go where does it go from there what how 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 long does that endure uh how much enmity does that create between these different groups of uh, the majority that needs to be self-flagellating and the minority that oversees and makes sure that it's being done properly. And then what happens the instant there's a tipping point? Yes. What, what happens the instant that, uh, you know, in our culture, it's the white male, right? When the white male becomes an endangered species, there's a, you know, if demography is destiny, eventually we're going to be a minority and that eventually isn't that far out. What then 
Right. What then? Marxists don't deal with that very well. In fact, history has, but the theoretical Marxist or the Maoist is that, that is bought into this mm-hmm. stuff. Um, they, you know, we must free the oppressed, but history has never, ever achieved just mm-hmm. equality. There's always some right. person or group, and, and sometimes it was in some places it was determined by the, the color of someone's skin. But by and large, that had very little to do with what happened in history. History has to do with power. Um, mm-hmm. skin, and, and skin color and race had very little to do with a lot of that. You had empires that, that dominated and ruled simply to consolidate power and wealth. But what happens when the oppressed become the oppressor? Uh, right. It's an endless cycle of, of grievances. Mm-hmm. And what it reminds me of, have you guys ever heard there's these, um, especially in Africa, there are certain parts of Africa, I'm sure it exists elsewhere, but where tribes, oppressed tribes will, will suddenly get the upper hand. And then there's this, this, this bloodletting of payback mm-hmm. for all the, for all the, um, uh, the the hor- the horrible atrocities that had been dealt out to those that were being oppressed, and then give it a generation or sometimes less, depending on how long the dictator lives until right. someone whacks him, and suddenly there's a new tribe in charge, and there's this endless bloodletting of payback yet again. Right. And what it is, it's an endless cycle of of keeping track of who wronged me, and then the moment I get a chance, I am going mm-hmm. to get them get them all back, and and there is no there's never. And there is never an equality of, okay, everybody, let's stop. In fact, the only civilizations that ever came close was Western civilization. By and large, most civilizations are in a constant state of keeping track of how badly Mm -hmm. I and my tribe have been wronged. And Mm -hmm. then we're going to get these guys back when the the power switches over the other way. And what's interesting there is that the problem with that approach is not how seriously they're taking the sin, right? if you have been the the victim of horrible atrocities, those deserve death, right? Those deserve judgment. Uh, the that that problem that we fall into is how does that judgment come to pass without me becoming as guilty as the person that I'm trying to meet judgment out upon? Mm. And and there's no way in that closed loop system for the sin to ever find a place to be exhausted. It just keeps tick-tocking back mm. and forth and absolving no one, right? No matter if you, if you come in and you just decimate a population of those that had been oppressing you, have you really, have you really satisfied that the price that needed to be paid for that sin? Is that, it, it was, was that good enough? And the answer is no, no, it really wasn't. Even as horrible as it was, it wasn't. So that the price still hasn't been paid. And now you've incurred the same debt. And that's where the, the cross is so powerful, not even just in our personal lives, but as the only way for there to be peace in the nations is the cross is the only place where any payment was ever made so sufficient that it can absorb sin and, and absorb it entirely. And the one who dealt with the sin didn't rack up. <laughs> Basically the same debt, right? That someone else right. had to forgive. Exactly. He did it with it perfection. It was finished. <laughs> it was conclusive. That's right. It was yeah. complete. Yeah. The, um, uh, what's, what's so, I think sometimes, especially those of us, we kind of live in a little bit of a conservative bubble here, um, in our part of the country. Uh, there's some exceptions to that, but by and large, it's getting smaller. Yeah, bit, it used to you know, be our county, and then it used to be our city. <laughs> well, and now you know, there's a few neighborhoods around here. That, and, yeah. and even now, like it's it's strange. It's strange to me. I, 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 
I don't get people are like, oh, I need to move to Idaho. Things are getting blue around here. It's like, oh my goodness, what are you running from? And have you looked at Idaho's map? (laughs) Run the red blue game back a few years and you'll notice which one's growing. If you if you keep running, that is why things get worse, right? You gotta you gotta take a stand and and be salt and light, right? If the salt and light keeps running away from the darkness, no wonder the darkness keeps expanding. Yes. If you're fleeing to Idaho, that's not good. If you're going to Idaho with a strategic purpose in mind. Yeah. Good, well, good on you. Yeah. But move to something. Don't, not a, not don't away. run away. Uh, the, uh, this, this, uh, anyway, this, this whole thing I find, it, I guess it, it creates a sense of the people that are buying into this stuff are not our enemies. I think that's, that's something that is important yeah. for us as believers. This is our mission field. If you were, mm-hmm. if God called you to move to, I'll just pick a place, Bangladesh, and the local and and the local religion was something similar to what we're hearing Schumer pontificate and similar guy and Senator Schumer and others pontificate, uh, we wouldn't be mad at them for it. We would say this is why God has called us here to minister to these people to bring the 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 salvation message. Mm-hmm as defined, clearly defined in God's word, bring that to these people so that they can be freed. They're not our enemies. They are our mission field. They, they need to mm-hmm. be rescued. Our job is to bring the message. God is the one who works out his work of salvation. But I f- it's weird. Somehow when we think about this domestically, we're not mission oriented, right? We're like, oh, these mm-hmm. guys, we've got we've to vote them out. We've got to win mm-hmm. at the ballot box. I'm not saying the ballot box isn't important. It's a responsibility no. of citizenship, but it is not the actual answer. <laughs> Uh, no, not the core answer. No, on on I don't know if this would be actually a a pushback or critique of what you said, but I do think another aspect or angle that needs to be appreciated is that the civil sphere does reflect the shared convictions of society, and there is much that was enshrined in law in America that was reflective of biblical principles, and there is a, there is a difference between going to a country in which the gospel is brand new, uh, in which it's, it is unknown and seeing the brokenness that's in a society there and, and saying, well, of course, that's how we all are until Jesus. Uh, and what a blessing that we can bring that good news here. There is a different kind of hubris and there's a different kind of sadness when you watch people say, I know the, I know what the current standard is. And it's a good standard. And again, there's, there's a lot of standards in America that are bad standards. But to look at something and say, ah, okay, so this was enshrined into law here for these reasons, and I hate it for those reasons. My purpose in life is to undermine that good thing. That, that is different than a person who has never seen what it was supposed to be. Um, you know, if you look at somebody in a culture where maybe they've never seen a healthy family in their life, right? And... Uh, they don't understand what it's supposed to look like to be a good father, to be a good mother, these sorts of things. You're very sympathetic and you're saying, wow, how sad that they've never seen what that's supposed to look like. Let me show them what a family's meant to look like. It's, that's, there's something different about that than seeing somebody that grew up in a, in a loving, nurturing, healthy family and then reaches a certain age and just says, I hate everything about this family because it will not allow me to rebel in the way I want to rebel So I'm going to make it the mission of my life to destroy families everywhere. And we're seeing that as an impulse in our culture. And that's, 
that is a different thing. How does it affect our outreach? The way I think it, um, there's a, there's a little bit of two, two sides to it. When we're dealing with our neighbor, we're dealing with our neighbor. Uh, who is our neighbor? Uh, is our neighbor somebody that is just a product of an education that has taught them this is how the world works, etc.? Um, then we want to love our neighbor and we want to share the gospel with our neighbor. We want to see them uh, come to know the truth. That'd be great. There's also times when you will run across a neighbor whose purpose in life is to destroy all things that are good. <laughs> you know, there are, there are certain neighbors where it's like, yeah, you're misguided, but I get it. And there's other neighbors where it's like, you know, your purpose is evil. Um, and, and I think there can be, a, there's different kinds of engagement that happen depending on who your neighbor happens to be. Uh, we would desire to see everybody come to know Christ, but there is, there's a difference between somebody who's caught up in lies and deception and um, what you might call in some ways a modern day Pharisee, the kind of person that ticked Jesus off where he says, you know better, right? You know the truth, you've understood the truth and your sinfulness is a conscious decision to reject, undermine, and try to co-opt the truth for sinful purposes. And there, there is some of that in our culture. Yeah. Uh, well, we see some of that in the New Testament too. Yeah. Uh, for sure. Jesus rebuked them yeah. mercilessly. Right. If you want to call it that. I mean, he's a God of mercy, but we'll, we'll, let, uh, we'll, mm-hmm. let, we'll let him select the correct adverb. Uh, but then on the other hand, Paul was certainly part of that tribe, Saul, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and God gloriously saved him. Yeah. So I, I think, I think, uh, I guess, I guess we're probably approaching this at the same way. I, I think what can happen though, and, and I, we certainly are on the receiving end of this is we, we get, uh, we can get caught up in the us versus them. Yes. Yeah. And so, uh, believe it or not, I've, I know somebody that just hates the state of California. Um, actually stopped talking to us when we moved there. <laughs> it's bizarre. I, I mean, okay. And hates the state of California because of all it stands for. But it's like, you mm. know, if you actually go to California <laughs> and you start living in a neighborhood, um, can you, cause you hate California. Could you hate the people there? It, it reminds me a little bit <laughs> no. of Jonah going, you know, right. Jonah had this, this, yeah. mm-hmm. this, this, you know, he goes, he gets sent. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to go. He detests and hates the enemies of Israel. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to preach. He's the, he's got the worst attitude ever about an evangelistic mm-hmm. message, but God had a bigger plan. I mean, Jonah's, Absolutely. Jonah's assignment was to go preach. Uh, he went with a bad attitude, which is, by the way, if, if anybody thinks, oh, I could be terrible at ministry, God can use anybody, even somebody who doesn't want to be there. Oh, sure. Uh, so I think that's mm-hmm. kind of where I'm going. Is, is- but Nineveh is also an example of one of those nations that did not know the truth. And I, I do think there's, there, there is still something that is uniquely wicked about standing in a pulpit on Easter Sunday using oh, resurrection sure. language to pr- to push what for him is probably not even a vaguely liberation theology version of Christianity, just to pr- push naked power grabs and Marxist ideology. Mm-hmm. And connected uh, to a special day that he built right, special to, to some, to, certainly not to, to him. Co-op, yeah, to co-opt yeah. the gospel because he grew up in a country that has the gospel. Uh, to to take that language specifically because he can use it manipulatively, 
that is a special kind of evil that is on a different level. And I think it's okay as Christians to say there's a higher accountability for that kind of manipulative lying than there is even in some of these wicked nations in, in the world. I think in places like in the Middle East and other places where you have some of these uh, cultures that are just so profoundly broken and wicked uh, and have been so, you know, since the beginning. And they, they've never had that point in time where the gospel has had an impact on their culture, their country. Not that America is a Christian nation. Uh, you know, we're in, nations can't get saved. Right. Um, but there is much here that is historically reflective of biblical principles. And I, yes, okay, I, you know, before all the emails come in, and John Locke and Rousseau and a bunch of other stuff that got mixed in. And then over the, you know, the course of the last couple of centuries, we've also a bunch of other broken stuff. Yes. I love that our audience but. would write emails about that, <laughs> you know, not just, yeah. hey, you guys but, but, suck. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but there are a lot of things here that have been a blessing. And, and it is specifically those things that have been a blessing that are under siege. And they're being put under siege by people that are trying to co-opt the language of the gospel to justify the undermining of the gospel. And that's, that's why I call it kind of a modern day pharisaicalism because that is exactly what was happening. And in that context, it is deserving of strong denunciation, mm. not because they're just poor misguided people, but because it is a calculated attempt to weaponize the good news of God's grace for the accomplishments of the purposes of Satan. Fair point, for sure. I, I, it reminds me of the Old Testament prophets that would go, and at risk of their own lives often, go directly rebuke the, the it might have been a king of Israel, but most of them were garbage, uh, <laughs> wicked, wicked people. Yeah. And, um, and would go and call them out boldly. Uh, yeah. Because of the responsibility, I think. I think for most of us, though, that are interacting with with people that are just being deceived, whether it's young people yes. or neighbors that yeah. are just, they've been fed a a a bizarre package of of anti religious, anti Christian, yet somehow religious mm -hmm. worldviews. You know, for most of these folks, that that that's our opportunity to to shine the gospel into their lives. Absolutely. Now, clear in the in the religious world, I, I would uh, we we see this periodically with clearly unsaved people that are in positions of religious authority, calling themselves pastors mm -hmm. or vicars or whatever. I mean, those people absolutely know better, and right. uh, it doesn't mean we can't share with them, but it does. It certainly does mean that um, they're 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 on a, it. Does they they probably definitely are enemies of the gospel. God, just like Paul was prior to his salvation. Mm -hmm. um, but um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I think, yeah. uh, but like one of the things that I've noticed, actually, this is interesting last night um, uh, where we did have a youth group of, as <laughs> you were here, Chris, I was, you know? <laughs> uh, I was here. Um, Nathan Snook uh, gave a great lesson from Philippians chapter four, focused primarily on what are the things we ought to be filling our mind with, mm. uh, whatsoever things are good, that whole list. Right. And, um, and some of the, it, it got into some great conversations in our small group breakouts where in my group, my little small group, one of the things that when the question was posed, you know, what are the, what are the things that aren't, that are not compliant with that list that, um, mm. that mm -hmm. either, uh, that either have been, uh, have affected you or, 
or affected your family or, or, or other believers. And one of the things one of the kids brought up was politics. I thought that was interesting. Oh, interesting. That not that, it, and he just, he just said, everybody talks about politics. Now that mm. it's just one kid's perspective. Mm-hmm. Sure. I did find it interesting though, that, that he, even at that young age, relatively young age, um, saw that as something that had, um, had a, it was a topic that had a divisive impact in his opinion on, on Christians. And I think it's just something, again, a, war, a warning, a, 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 a little bit, it's just out of mm-hmm. the mouth of babes sometimes, but a little mm-hmm. bit of a response to not that politics isn't important. It is, but is it dominating my thinking? And am I thinking of people that vote a certain way as my enemies when in fact right. they are my mission field? Yes. And in some cases, your friends and in some yeah. cases, mm-hmm. your relatives and your neighbors. And yes. And and that's where the gospel denies these categories, right? We that's are right. not Marxists. We don't believe <laughs> that the problem with the world is material. We don't believe the problem with the world is structural. We don't. We believe the problem with the world is spiritual, and that that spiritual problem is one bucket, <laughs> right? Yeah. The if you are in the bucket sinner, you have a problem. Who is in the bucket sinner? Absolutely everyone Everybody. who isn't Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And so that that is the great leveler. Um, as a as a an an interesting and sad current reality, the way that religion and politics are flowing into each other more explicitly than they have in a while. Uh, it's I mean it's always been uh, politics cannot avoid being religious because politics has to be pursuing the good of the nation. The good of the nation always has to be a value claim, and a value claim inevitably will be tied to your religious convictions. It's uh, and you might be like, well, I'm an atheist. That's still a religious conviction. Right? Probably and the so. reason those two things were the unmentionables in generations <laughs> past. We yes, don't talk about politics or religion. Yeah. So politics is civic religion, if you will, worked yeah. out. Uh, um, as a thought experiment, who would you say, give me like a really conservative senator? Um, oh, these days? Sure. Yeah. Um, just now. So who's a... Oh, Ted Cruz comes to mind, although he's probably sure. not far right, but he's yeah. a good, good Texan. Sure. Let's say constitutionalist. What do you think would have happened? Now, you know, a few folks on the right saw this speech by Schumer and they were like, what? Right. But as a, as a whole, it was largely a non-event. Yeah. What if Ted Cruz had gotten up in a pulpit of a church on Easter and said, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That event changes everything. And we will not go back. And this is the reason why all of our hopes and dreams can come true. And I hope that everything that happens in in politics going forward will be more implications of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? Uh, You'd have all your... He'd be be mocked and vilified. yeah, Yeah. And they'd be calling for his resignation. You can't serve in politics, separation of church and state, all this kind of jazz. But if you can say my hope of salvation is in the appointing of certain intersectional classes of people and that I consider that to be as religiously significant as the resurrection of Jesus, it's a non-event. Right. And so this is all religious. Yeah. Uh, the question is, which religion is allowed to fly flags in the center of our civil government? And that question is increasingly one-sided in mm. its answer. Well, it's probably a good segue into how does this religion manifesting itself elsewhere in the society? Yeah. Uh, it's not uh, politics influences other things. And you, and you shared this article with us, uh, Chris, the, about Disney uh, in particular and the Disney mm-hmm. movie red. 
I think this is red, right? Yeah, it was the it was I, the impetus, but it was noting the other, article was about a larger trend turning mm-hmm. red. So if you look at Disney films um, mm-hmm. coming out of the when when did when did they really start making movies? When I was a Let's kid, uh, they was Snow White the first one. So that's the back. first fully animated feature length film. Was 50s it Snow and White? 60s. I don't remember what year. I know you could Google it pretty quick. Snow White, but there's a couple major themes that have just dominated Disney storylines. I mean, there've been some exceptions. One was princesses. 1937. 37. One was princesses, Snow White, of course. Uh, but you go through the, in fact, a big part of going to Disneyland or Disney world. Um, if you don't have girls, you won't know this, but uh, <laughs> is signing up to visit the princesses. Mm. And like you wait in line for an hour and your sons will hate it. And, and and then, of course, your daughters go in and they go meet the different princesses and it's actresses dressed up. Anyway, uh, so Disney yep. has this long heritage of princesses. But a big thing, but the big, big element, I mean, that's just characters. The big element in Disney, and not just Disney, if you think about most of good movies, there is a hero and there is a villain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, most good stories go way beyond four movies, go into books and and even just lore that was handed down mm-hmm. from one generation to another through an oral tradition. Uh, the the uh, Our story, the best stories, the most memorable stories are almost always a hero or a heroine overcoming mm-hmm. a villain or an enemy. And, and so this article is particularly interesting and it might explain why I thought the, the some of these new movies are so lame. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the title is the post villain era of animation, mm-hmm. uh, subtitle today's Disney movies aren't like the ones you grew up with. And that isn't a bad thing. So we get a little sense of where this is little coming from. Editorializing. And, and where, yeah. What, what uh, publication did this come from? Chris? This was from the Atlantic. <laughs> there we go. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Yep. Um, there is, there is a, you can see it in film. Mm-hmm. You can see it in the entertainment industry that more and more movies, uh, I guess it might even be considered a little, a little lame now to have a movie that has a very specific villain. And when they are there, they're very caricatured. They're very, they're not very mm-hmm. complex. It's almost like a, a cardboard cutout of a villain. Yeah, uh, and it's also also like boilerplate for critics. Yes. If there's a clear good guy or bad guy to say, well, the you know, the characters were uh, one-dimensional. Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> is going to just just, you know, yes. demolish it, right? The audience score will be high. It's the critic yes, score that will right. be very low. And so, Chris, I want to ask if you could walk us through this. The, what are the, what is this article? What is Atlantic exploring in this new theme of movies where there is no villain? There is a problem to be overcome because every story needs to have a problem, but it's not a bad guy. It's not evil. It's not a uh, an enemy. Yeah, and I think you you already summarized it quite a bit. Uh, the The traditional model uh, for Disney movies was was that classic setup. There's the righteous. There's the unrighteous. Um, there's the prize to be won or the damsel to be rescued. Uh, then conflict ensues, and what's gonna happen? Give you a hint. Uh, Disney doesn't do tragedies. Um, eventually, the bad guys are dead, and the good guys are riding off um, into the sunset. Uh, and so that that's been the standard the paradigm. Uh, but that has been shifting more and more recently. Uh, they look back to uh, Frozen as kind of a turning point mm. where you still had a clear good evil setup, but you subverted it. Uh, Moana is another one they point out mm. where the villain turns out to just be 
you know, a vic- what about a victim the, of the sorts. cranky good what guy? About the, what about <laughs> the, the three caballeros? Was there a? You're gonna have to. F- do you remember that one? I don't. Oh, you don't remember that one? It was. Must have been a caballeros. Caballeros. Oh, that was. I don't remember. I don't. I don't remember. He's got his phone out. Did you gotta be able to talk? You were asleep and you go I'm looking at. I'm. I'm googling a list of Disney films, but is it the tres? Yeah. Do you guys remember this one though? No. In Technicolor, you didn't. The three caballeros. That's the start. There was the the the. Yeah, it's it's got. Uh, Donald Steve? Duck, Didn't and then you've Steve got the in it? No, no, you oh, got this oh, uh, the green the green <laughs> guy with the top hat, the little uh, parrot. Oh, I couldn't see the picture. Uh, and then like the chicken character. Oh, it's kind of hard to parrots and chickens and Donald Duck. Oh I my! I did not see that one. <clears throat> uh, okay, yeah. I just I'm trying to remember if there was a villain at all in that. Is one. that like a feature film? A feature like it's film? got that yes. green. 1940s, it was the 50s seventh art. Walt Disney animated feature film. Oh, you know, there's probably a reason we've never heard of it, and it's because it didn't have a villain and no one liked That's it. That's probably true. Yeah, you know what I saw? Another shift in the villains uh, category, guys. Is is the at what point did we start to see the backstory movies? Maleficent comes to mind. Right. So the horrible mm. boy, what a fantastic villain that, in the original Sleeping Beauty. Was that launched by Wicked, do you think? It could have been. So there's this whole idea Seems of like let's take kind the of, bad guy yeah. and explain the backstory that they're not really a bad guy. Look at all they've had to deal with. By the way, this same view is just insane because it, it, it it's applied to criminals and terrorists in the real world mm-hmm. oh you don't know what they've been through we have right. to understand their pain i'm like <laughs> they just blew people up that's the pain i want to focus on mm-hmm. but, but you see this in storytelling uh wicked there was um another series it was actually kind of it was pretty well written called once upon was it once upon a time did you guys see oh, this a series? television series? Yeah, this, I remember this, that. I think yeah, I've seen this, a few episodes. All these characters from from fairy yeah. tales, and it was yeah. actually pretty pretty well written. I don't think I can recommend it. There's a reason I stopped watching it. But in that one, it got you, boring. You perhaps that was it. Yeah, maybe <laughs> it was, was just it. more of the same. Maybe I can. Recommend. It's like any show that goes past, you know, two or three or four. Seasons, even twenty four, like a show like yeah. that. It's like okay, it's the same thing. Jack's yeah. gonna go find bad guys. And we know he's how gonna do gonna what needs to be done. And breathe heavily a lot. But there was, a, yeah, right. Yeah, there, and never eat in a twenty four hour period or do anything. True, but that happens. Non mission. Let's face it. Yeah, if you had twenty four hours to save the day, you ain't wasting time on going to get a In and Out burger. They should have put Jack Bauer in Once Upon a Time. Bring that character. There we go. <laughs> would have been stunning. But that was all another. Right. Uh, you know, all these different series. It, it, it was like, okay, let's go find the. Backstories, not of our hero. And by the way, if they did a backstory on the heroes, it always kind of villainized them. It's like, oh, Snow White mm-hmm. wasn't this perfect hero. She's really a drug dealer in a former life, or something like something, that, yeah, uh, or a, or a, you know, a burglar or whatever. There's just, but yet on the bad guys, the villains, it was the backstory always made you say, oh, they're just, you know, they're just. They're they're fragile. There's a re so what what you see happening was the heroes getting demoted and the villains getting promoted and for the purpose of mm-hmm. equity and equality of all. No one's really the good guy. No one's a bad guy. Um, so yeah. does that set On some the, of the stage for where Disney's going with some of these very very latest releases? We'll see. I think I think that's part of it. I'm curious how Disney's going to channel it because Disney is a company that's sensitive to a number of factors. One is they need people to watch their movies. Um, they need to appeal to an increasingly activistic 
um, employee base mm-hmm. and they still want to get their movies released in China. <laughs> and yes. So there's some interesting competing pressures on Disney, mm. but I, I do think that the fundamental skepticism towards good and evil as a, any kind of a real objective concept means w- I, I think increasingly we're going to see the villains in movies be the villains in society. And those villains are structures that are oppressive or, um, understanding myself and getting to be my true fully autonomous version of myself. Hmm. I think that's going to increasingly be what drives the plot forward, which is going to make for some super lame movies. Oh man. Yes. Or, and here's what I'm actually expecting. They'll cheat more. Um, they'll cheat more. They'll set the movie up as about one thing, but what will give the movie its actual emotional beats and it's what will make the plot land will be occasionally cheating from a Judeo-Christian <laughs> worldview mm-hmm. and pulling those themes in. And and here's a, here's a question yeah. uh, I wanted to throw out. You talked about traditionally how stories were good versus evil. One thing that's struck me in reading various mythologies um, around the world, and actually it's kind of interesting. I didn't realize um, there's a couple of places online you can find a lot of the mythologies of the of the tribes that have historically lived here in the Spokane region. And it was really oh. interesting seeing the the mythologies of our local um, Spokane tribes um, and just, yeah, some of their, their kind of unique emphases. Uh, rivers play a very uh, pivotal role, as you might imagine. Water. Yep. Uh, and some really, there's a lot of cataclysmic flood uh, lore also in, in local Spokane mythology. But, mm. uh, whether it's Greek, Norse, um, you know, the Ro- Greek influenced Roman um, mythologies, there's a tremendous amount of ambiguity, right? A lot of these gods uh, and and the drivers of these narratives aren't aren't flatly good or bad, right? Mm. Like Zeus, is he a good guy or a bad guy? And what day what day is it? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. depends if he what's likes he up to? What's he feel yeah. like? And and I I would suspect. Um, that it is, it is the Judeo tradition, and then later um, the Judeo Christian tradition, where you had your strongest good versus evil narratives, mm. and I I do think that that's been a characteristic of Western storytelling post Christianity. Mm. And what's interesting to me is I think on the far side of the sort of touchy feely self autonomy spat of stories we're getting into right now. I'm thinking the future of storytelling in the West is going to be neo-pagan. That's my hunch. Hmm. That would follow the same track that we've seen elsewhere. Um, Europe, Europe has pushed that already. Sure. In some, in some quarters. Um, Interesting. What, um, what's interesting about these kinds of stories is there's a reason they're not very compelling. So, for example, we'll go back to Frozen, right? Sure. Uh, the first Frozen, uh, I found, I don't know about you guys, and this is just Nate's Nate's view. <laughs> I found I found certain characters endearing, and then the the main character that was that Elsa. Was <laughs> that, that the one? The self discovery one. That really depends on which young girl you ask. Okay, <laughs> if it was it's Elsa true. or Anna. Well, I thought I thought so. Elsa, <clears throat> but there is there is a clear dominant <laughs> favorite from Nate, Nate's perspective. Yeah. Elsa was this horribly self-absorbed mm-hmm. person. 
Anna was the one in my, it was interesting. My opinion, Anna was mm-hmm. the hero of the show, right? Pretty much all the other characters were comic relief of one kind or another. Yeah. But it was interesting that to me, what I did appreciate about that story though, was it was a story about sisters and I appreciated right. that. And it wasn't meant to be, which is the right. part, fascinating part of that story <laughs> is it was supposed to be a clear good guy, bad guy story. And at least in the things that I've watched and read that all changed on a song. The uh, song. The song. That, Interesting. Uh, yeah, when they went to write what was going to be the central song for Elsa's character, uh, they they said, okay, well, in this song, let's try to explore how she becomes so wicked, so evil. And uh, the Let It Go song began to emerge from that. And as they began working through it, they began to feel very sympathetic towards Elsa. And the song ends up coming out very sympathetic towards her when they yeah. shared the song back with the studio. The studio's like okay, this is not what the movie's about anymore. And this is not going to be a movie about sisterhood, about redemption, and Interesting. Um, et cetera, et cetera. Well, the second movie um, took on, by the way, totally forgettable movie. <laughs> totally forgettable, right? And I think it's because it was so, it became, you could see the modern woke cause-based themes We've got to deal with this. There's got to be an oppressor, and there was. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's got to be this uh, self-discovery that led to the ascension of um, of Elsa to like some spirithood. There was. A, we've got to find some you know tradition or maybe a historically disenfranchised group, <laughs> and we've got to pull their lore and their myths up. And they did. They went and found a, oh, yeah. a tribe in northern Europe, or actually Scandinavia, and they spent. A ton of time uh, learning their beliefs and their myths, and they injected all that into Frozen 2. And what you ended up with is the same kind of boring, empty result, a feeling of, oh, okay, well, that was a movie. Where are we going to dinner next? Mm-hmm. Um, you ended up with that, that I think you end up with with like a lot of the modern philosophy, kind of a you... Yes. I'm sure Chuck got everybody fired up from the pulpit there at Dr. Bernard's, uh, whatever his center was called. Yeah, for five minutes. For five minutes. And everybody mm-hmm. was like, okay, where are we going for lunch? Right. Because it was a, a feel-good moment mm-hmm. for some. I just think that, again, speaks to the emptiness of modern life. Um, we, we talked about, I, I think we've disagreed on this. I talked about this is like the most <laughs> stupid time to ever be alive. It's <laughs> It's convenient. Yes, it's great to order stuff and it's on my door and a day. Well, that used to be the case. Now it's like five days. It's great to have all these (laughs) restaurant options. Oh, that's right. Uh, Through COVID, I don't have the same options now, but anyway, it's great to have all the conveniences, but in terms Mm -hmm. of a time about when, when people are willing to sacrifice and work hard for things, or you can find people Mm -hmm. that believe in the same things that you do, it's kind of a stupid time. And I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people feel that. And so Mm -hmm. what a vacuum that's great, right? There's this vacuum that as believers, if we if we don't retreat, if we step out into our community, we intentionally go out, but for the purpose of engaging with people and being a light to them, I think it's a great I think it's a great time to stand out. Easier than ever, I think. Very true. Very true. Especially since I when you're not falsifying um the gospel message. Uh, in in the culture, as in in a you know, it, the the imitations are straying from the original source material, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And I do think they're becoming increasingly weak, increasingly flat. And I do think that will make the genuine article sparkle so much more. You know, the the book the Lord of the Rings is going to be more impressive once Amazon series comes out and people yes. realize. <laughs> 
half a billion dollars can produce utter garbage if you don't know what the actual source material is mm. about. Now, maybe they'll completely surprise me, but by, by everything that I'm hearing and seeing, my guess is all it will say is what one guy could do, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. with a typewriter uh, can outclass what a half a billion dollars can try to shine up if what you're actually working with is garbage. Mm. We do live in a time of art. In the case, film is art. There's a lot of art, music. Mm. I was just listening to a really interesting uh, discussion about how it is easy to produce excellent things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's easier than ever. You can pull out GarageBand and all of a sudden, like you're doing stuff that DJs couldn't produce, pros couldn't do 20 years ago, right? And you do, and you have no skill. It was a really interesting um, discussion about mm-hmm. how technology makes things easier, but there is a price. And the price is usually that you're cheaper for it. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm still digesting it. There's a book behind it too. But but I look at some of the the films that have come out that cause that have made billions cost hundreds mm-hmm. of millions LOTR um, Amazon is going to be another example half a billion spent I know when we watch that show I know we are going to be stunned at the wardrobes at the sets the uh, the CGI is probably going to be beautifully done it is going to be a masterpiece they better fix it up from the preview trailer then yeah, right. <laughs> well it's early stuff right they haven't yeah, poured yeah. all their money Hopefully, but but yeah. i think I, i'll go back to mm-hmm. i guess a good example of this too is the new the new star wars movies that have come out mm-hmm. um uh since disney bought the fr- bought the rights if you look at the movies they're yeah. brilliantly shot Yep. The, the, the scenes are gorgeous. The cinematography is gorgeous and the story is flat. And it's an interesting time in which art can be expertly produced Mm. and still lack any soul. Mm -hmm. And I think that's again, where the Christian stands out in this time is uh, Jesus is real. All this other Mm. stuff is Mm. fake and it's talk. Uh, Mm -hmm. Jesus is real. And, and as, as the counterfeits look even cheaper and cheaper as time goes on, uh, Jesus is, he's always been brilliant and glorious and he's even more so right now. We just, I think in, uh, instead of running from the fray, we need to, I heard, I heard a preacher once say, and I loved how he said this. He's like, you know, we don't have to protect the Bible. Um, it's kind of like a lion. You just have to let it out of the cage and it takes care of itself, right? <laughs> we don't have to protect, mm-hmm. um, the Lord, uh, he can protect mm-hmm. himself. We just need to be obedient and, and, and get out there and be salt and light. Well, Caleb just showed me what time it was. By the way, did you know Caleb's operating on military time? Oh, yeah. nice. Showed it 1615 you mean, over you mean, there. You mean the rest of the world time? <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure most <laughs> of the world operates the on that. the world, right? Yeah. Well, we should be. I'm but surprised you could you read it from check. two meters away. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. I need well, to get it was, going. I have kilometers to go now. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, I'm sorry I wasn't much more, you know, I'm going to try. I'm hoping, I did a sleep study last night, so I'm hoping <laughs> oh, nice. maybe they can they can figure out why, even though I go to bed for, you know, eight or nine hours, I, I only- uh, Next show, we should do uh, an, anyway. we should do a little interview. I want to find out about this. Well, maybe study. I'll be more, maybe after I'm, yeah, maybe after I hear they resolve it, like. it, I'll be more, you know, alert yeah. and spry and- <laughs> Not Ooh. not drifting as uh, I, as I often do in the afternoon at two. Yeah, <laughs> you know, as we wrap here, uh, I want to talk stories a little bit. This is a great time. I'm going to take something that Chris said, and I think you were quoting somebody. Maybe they quoted. I can't. I can't reference this properly. Um, we were talking about 
uh, Harry Potter mm-hmm. and contrasting it with yes, uh, Star Wars. I was totally stealing that from Andy Wilson. And what was the quote? Andy, by the way, oh, yeah. I want to talk about this. I have an, not, not today. I have an article about why people don't use names and use initials. Nice. And, okay. it, and it makes me suspicious. But mm. no, no. Andy, Nathan, I believe his name is, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. He was critiquing uh, Harry Potter and with a tremendous amount of respect for her, her skills as an author and her Very success, skilled. et cetera. Mm. He just said he, he felt she wrote about... Um, wrote about magic like somebody who doesn't believe in magic. Oh. <laughs> and and that and it was contrasting, right? With Lewis maybe? Narnia or was that just part of our conversation with it Jack? It was it was he did mention Lewis and and Tolkien and those folks, okay. but even just even in his own writing was saying, you know, as a Christian writer, I believe in magic, meaning I do believe that there's actually the supernatural out there. Yes. Uh, and that it is more real than anything that we can see. Hmm. Which I think gives Christians, and maybe maybe some of them are adults in our listening, I don't know, maybe some kids that we know, gives us a distinct advantage in the creative arts. You do mm. not need to water down your beliefs it in order should. to... It should. It should, right? <laughs> now, I, I, I'm flustered mm-hmm. by this at times, like, why is it we can't produce better stuff? And maybe it's funny, but I will say there is some great stuff that has come out, whether in film, certainly in books... But as believers, yeah. we ought to be better at this stuff than than the than the folks that don't know, don't have a personal relationship with the Almighty God. We'll have to value it then. You will have to, as Christians, pay for people to make art, mm-hmm. and the world is willing to do that, and the church lately is not. I will say, maybe it's our circles. We've talked about this a little bit too at times. Um, I. I do you think art is not as valued as much as it ought to be in Christian circles? Because it's not Agreed. considered not mm-hmm. considered to perhaps have enough utility. Uh, but there, it, it boy, some of the greatest works of art and music ever created, certainly in Western civilization, were funded um, by by patrons. Mm-hmm. And and we may not have wealthy patrons funding it now, or maybe we do, but there's other ways. But I, I, you're spot yeah. on. We need to invest in it because when we don't, I think I think we do the name of the Lord a disservice when we don't value creative mm-hmm. beauty and the create. And what better way for humans to glorify the Lord apart from proclaiming the gospel and worshiping together as a group? Uh, what better way than to produce mm-hmm. glorious art for His glory? Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Well, we should probably wrap it up, Nate, so you can get running. But uh, after all, it's sixteen twenty-three. It right is sixteen twenty-three, <laughs> not sixteen fifteen. When you said you need to be uh, on the on the I'm way, but, uh, uh, hopefully it won't have any negative uh, repercussions <laughs> on whatever you have to get to next. But we do thank everybody listening for joining us on the porch today. Uh, we uh, we hope you enjoyed your time listening uh, and. Uh, and we'd love to engage with you. And so if you uh, have questions for us, topics you'd like for us to talk about, or if you'd like to join us on the porch, um, we'd love to have you. And uh, you can uh, go to bombadilsporch.com on the web and uh, should from there be able to drop us a, a, a voice uh, memo or a message or uh, or shoot us an email at bombadilsporch at gmail.com. And uh, again, thank you for listening uh, to us today. And we hope you have uh, a, a wonderful day and a wonderful rest of your week. <laughs>